I never thought of putting a fan right here. I am a slow learner. I wish you could feel it. It's quite nice. I will, as long as I'm in the confessing mood, I'll, I'll tell you, um, confession's good. We ought to be able to confess to each other. I, I will confess to you that about 12 or 13 years ago, we had a, a wonderful couple in our church who came to me one day and said, um, Pastor, we'd like to give $5,000 to air condition the church. And I said, oh, that is wonderfully generous of you. Thank you. Um, we were right in the middle of planning our second edition. And I said, you know, we're right in the middle of planning this. And, and, and I, uh, you know, was a little worried about how that was going to be paid for and those kind of things. Would you be interested in putting it there? And they said, oh, yes, whatever you think would be, would be the right thing to do. Then we got delayed about a year. And then they moved away. They didn't leave the check. I will not make that mistake again. If anyone would like to meet me with an air conditioning check after the service today, I would be happy to accept it and not direct it in any other way. These are the things I've learned and these are the things I confess. It is my fault you are waving your bulletin at yourself today. So We're in this journey Genesis to Revelation, God's story, and how does it speak in to our story and into our life? Each week we read the scriptures together, they're on the screen, and, and choose one to look at as, we have, as we've marched on through. Any of you, I think this might even be a dumb question to start with, but any of you ever said anything really dumb in your life? How about just today? Just today, anything that has come up? I said a lot of dumb things in my life or things that I wish I could take back. I, I remember, um, in fact, I, I'm sure there are a lot of dumb things I don't even know that I said, you know, but, but the ones that I know, I remember I was t- teaching this Bible study one time about um, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. And I had, I had Isaac in my notes all the way through, but I, the entire lesson until it was pointed out to me, I'd been calling him Isaiah the entire, the entire time. I, I think the one that maybe that I remember the most, uh, well, the one that I can share with you that I remember the most was... Uh, uh, I was standing right here a number of years ago, and I said, um, you know, would you, uh, this is what I meant to say. I meant to say, would you bow your heads and let's pray silently while the piano plays. And instead what I said was, would you bow your heads and pray while the piano plays silently. <laughs> the poor piano player had no idea what to do in that moment. I, I, think, I think that you probably have some stories like that too. I wish we had the time. Uh, although it's getting warmer, so I won't take it. But uh, I wish we had the time to hear some of your stories. I would feel better about myself, probably. Um, I would be reminded that, that you have those mistakes and you have those moments. I'd feel less like a goofball, I think. And, and, and I, think, I think that that's perhaps what happened with Peter and his encounter with Jesus in this story of the Gospel that we look at this morning. I'd invite you to turn to, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And would you stand for the reading of the Gospel? Mark 8, starting at verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. 
He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You may be seated. It's encouraging me, it always is encouraging to me to, to, to read and talk about Peter. It encourages me that, that someone who, who was of so much importance in the early church is able to walk so well with his foot firmly in his mouth most of the time. We've got to remember that Peter teaches us that even being a good person, even being one of the greatest humans, we're, we, we make mistakes in our life. Henry Ford changed the world. He changed the way that we um, manufacture. He changed the way that we assemble, how, we, how things are marketed, how we travel. But, but do you know that in his first car, he forgot to put a reverse gear? Do you know that in the first car that he built, he, he, he didn't plan it out well enough, and the door to the building, the car wouldn't fit to get out? In fact, if you go today to Greenfield Village, you can see where they had to cut a hole in the wall of the factory in order to get the car's through the, through the building. I give thanks to God, and I think you do too, that we don't have to be perfect to experience God's grace and His forgiveness, nor to experience new life in Christ. In this passage, we, we hear this pretty scathing uh, rebuke from Jesus to Peter. If you were here Wednesday night, we, we talked a little more about what that particularly means. But, but Jesus had just changed Uh, Peter's name. It had been Simon. He changed it to Peter, meaning the rock. The rock upon upon which Jesus would build the church. You've got to imagine that Peter is feeling pretty good about life right now. He's feeling pretty good. He's feeling pretty loved. Things are are nice and sunshiny and and Jesus is with him and he's calling him the rock and this all goes so well. And then Jesus starts talking about Jerusalem and being crucified and the bright and sunny world begins to crumble in front of Peter's eyes. And then Peter does what he does so well. He takes Jesus aside to give him advice. Oh, Jesus, maybe you don't quite understand this. Jesus, if, if you're going to be this, this Messiah, don't, don't you understand how, how this works? And Jesus rebukes Peter in front of all of the disciples. Jesus was cross-eyed. He was focused on the cross. He was focused on where he was going. And he gave Peter a cross-eyed rebuke. Jesus reminded Peter the purpose of Jesus' ministry was not to bring comfort but to salvation. And salvation would mean the cross. It's a story that that we could unpack further, but I think one of the things that we've we've asked ourselves all the way through this series is, is how does God's story impact my story? My story that is still being written, how, how does this help me in 2015? Will it help me that, that, that I'll never have make any dumb mistakes or put my foot in my mouth? No, I'm pretty positive that is not what it will help. But I do think that it helps us in three ways. Think about what does it mean to really be a follower of Jesus. First, it reminds us that we are not the center of the universe. Now, 
we, um, we know this uh, kind of here. We don't always know it so well here. Or maybe it's the other way. But we tend to get it a little confused. We are not the center of the universe. And yet, that seems to be one of the hardest lessons in life for us to learn. You ever stay up late and watch the commercials that they can't afford to put on during the regular hours, you know? They're kind of those goofy commercials that never, never make it uh, to the to regular prime time. Here, here's one. Take a look at it. It's all about me. It is all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about how I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. No one else All this can for do only $19.95. Like Operators do. are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. One eight hundred me me me, or order online at me myself and I dot com. Call today because no one can praise you like you. Now I have to tell you, somebody in first service did come and ask, "Was that really on TV?" Um, no, it wasn't. It isn't. But but it does tell a story. As funny as that parody is. The world is full of people who think like that. Even those who are within the church, in the infancy of our faith and life, they, to think that the world revolves around us. I think it was Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes, the cartoon, who, who said, the whole world is wrong. The, the world thinks that, that it revolves around them. He says they're wrong. It revolves around me. And the hard part is that that would be funny if it didn't feel so true. There is truth to that, especially, especially when God acts in ways that we don't expect or in ways that we wish was different. P- Peter didn't want Jesus to, to, to act that way. Peter had in mind who Jesus was going to be. How often have we been guilty of the same, having this idea that we believe this is how God ought to be. This is how God ought to act. And when God does something different, it, it, it shakes our faith in a way that says, is something wrong with God? Is something wrong with me? But instead, we need to be reminded, God will be God and I will not. And I will trust him that he has a much bigger plan of redemption. That's part of what we've talked about in this whole journey from Genesis to Revelation, that God is about redeeming his people. The cross of Christ changes this attitude of selfness. The cross changes us. When we accept the rebuke of Peter as our own and and we look at the world cross-eyed, like Jesus, we become less like the world and more like him day by day if we'll allow him to work. 
I read the story of Mother Teresa who, who heard of a, a family of nine who were starving. And she gathered together a, a, a bag of rice that took over enough for a meal. And, and the mother was so appreciative of what she had brought. And, and the mother took about half the rice out of the bag and, and left the other half in the bag and was heading out the door. And Mother Teresa was a little confused. She said, I don't understand. Where are you going? And the mother said, I know another family that's starving just like us. My friends, that, that's what it means to live cross-eyed. The cross reminds us that we are not the center of the universe. That God has a plan that is bigger than who we are. It also reminds us that we are called to be a people of the bruised shoulder. Jesus calls us to a life of discipleship. A life that begins at an empty tomb and we respond to the good news of our salvation by taking up our cross and being people of the bruised shoulder. I got a call... um, well, let me tell you this first. In, in, in medieval Europe, it was not uncommon for people, Christians, to pray for, for the marks of the crucifixions to show up on their hands, on their hands or on their feet. It was known as the stigmata. It was to be a sign of, of deep spiritual favor from God. There was a monk who was praying one night for that, and, and instead he had a different vision. It was a vision of a different mark on Jesus' body. It was a, it was a bruise on his shoulder, a bruise from carrying the cross. And the monk realized that the most important bruise was the mark which counted, the shoulder bruised from carrying the cross. I got a call from my wife, Jamie, this week, and she said, you are not going to believe what I just saw. She said, I just saw the most amazing thing I've ever seen driving through Sandpoint. Some of you might have saw it. Some in first service saw it. She says, I just passed a guy who was walking down on the bypass carrying a cross. And she said, but that wasn't the most amazing thing. She says, the amazing thing is the guy that's with him, following him, he's carrying a, a, pack, a packaging tape gun. I don't know what the significance of that is. I said, I don't know what the significance of that is either. Anybody see that guy walking through town? Yeah, a number of people. There, I, I've heard stories of that. I've heard stories of people who've, who've decided to, to walk across the country or walk across the region and, and carry the cross as a symbolism of what that means. I am unclear what the man with the tape gun means. If anybody wants to interpret that later, you can help me with that. But you see, the cost of our discipleship involves bearing and carrying the cross. Not the cross of sin. Christ was on that cross. Christ took care of that cross. But bearing the cross means voluntarily taking on the burdens of others. It means choosing to endure the pain and problems for the sake of others and the sake of the kingdom of God. Sometimes it means suffering. Suffering because we are a people who live counterculture. Suffering because sometimes we, we might look odd. Sometimes because the, the laws of our various countries might come into to conflict with the laws of God. Sometimes carrying the cross means suffering for the sake of Christ, for the gospel, and for the church. The Christian faith always begins with the cross and always leads us to the cross. It begins at the cross of what Christ has done and leads us to being a people who sacrificially carry a cross in our own life, the life of the bruised shoulder. For it reminds us not just whose we are, for we belong to Christ, but the cross also reminds who we are, that we are a people who are forgiven. We are saved by grace. We are a people who are sent. We are a people who are not perfect. We are a people who on our own can't ever come to a place to know forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption. We are reminded by the cross that salvation and grace can't be bought, borrowed, or stolen. But it is the free gift 
of God. And we are reminded that we are to be a people who live out what it means to lay down one's life. Preferences. To-do lists. Calendars. For the kingdom of God. The cross reminds us, no matter how hard we try, we can't do it on our own. And it's a powerful symbol of our relationship with the God who created us. Third, it reminds us that the gospel changes lives. We know that because it's changed our life. And it's in the process of, of, of continuing to change our life. It makes a difference, not in our life, but in other lives as well. According to research by George Gallup and, and the Gallup Poll Institute, 12% of Americans are highly spiritually committed. Those who truly understand what Jesus said when he, meant, when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Gallup goes on to say that those people who, who are highly spiritually committed, he sees four distinctions that are different in their lives than the general populace. These are the four. They are happier. Their families are stronger. They are more tolerant of people of different races and cultures. And they are community-minded They serve one another. Let me tell you that again. Those people who get what Jesus said, to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, he says there are four distinctions that set them apart from the rest of the population in all of Gallup's research. First, they are happier. Their families are stronger. They are more tolerant of people of different races and cultures. And they are people who serve. The cross really, literally, makes a difference in how we live. It is the oddity of God's economy that plays out. There is something about God's economy that when we serve and when we give our lives and when we lay down our lives in service for the kingdom of God and live a life for the other more than ourselves, there is the oddity of God's economy. Somehow we are the ones who end up being blessed in the process. There's the, the old story of two brothers who, who everybody liked when they were young but kind of got a little wild as they grew up and, uh, and started to live in ways that they shouldn't live. In fact, they got into a new profession. It was called uh, stealing sheep. They would steal the sheep and that's how they lived. Now, you remember in the Old West, if you stole a horse, the penalty probably hung you up. It was death. Well, in other cultures as well, sheep have the same, have the same uh, penalties. And, and so these guys were caught, these two brothers, they, they deserved death. That was, that was the law on the village books. But they had compassion upon them. And instead of death, they decided they were going to brand them. And they branded their forehead with the letters ST for sheep thief. The action embarrassed the one so much that he ran off and they never heard from him again in their village. The other brother was so filled with remorse, he stayed to try and reconcile himself to the villagers and those that he had wronged. The first, the villagers were skeptical of that, and, and yet he, he just poured his life out. He was just determined he was going to make reparation for what he had done. Wherever there was sickness, the sheep thief was there to help the sick. Wherever there was somebody in need, the sheep thief came to help. It didn't make a difference whether they were rich or poor. The sheep thief was, was lending a helping hand. He, he became an integral part of the community, never accepting pay for anything that he had done. His, his life was lived for others, and as a consequence... He grew to be a friend of all and well-respected. 
Years later, there was a man who was traveling through the town and was sitting at, the, at, a, at a cafe there along the sidewalk, and he was eating. And, and he noticed this, this old respected man sitting at the cafe as well, this European cafe in the street, and, and the strange brand on his forehead. And, the, and, and it caught his attention. But what was even more odd to him was that almost everybody who walked down the street would stop and greet the man. Even little children would come and, and wrap their arms around him and give him a hug, and they would visit for a while. And so finally he asked the, the manager of the cafe, who... Who is this man and what, is the, what does the brand on his forehead stand for? And the cafe owner, a contemporary of the old man, thought for a moment and he said, you know, I don't know, it, it happened so long ago, I don't remember, but, but I think it stands for saint. See, the cross of Christ and the gospel of Christ can transform any life. The gospel of Christ is about redeeming people. It is about taking people who've gone this way and bringing them to the way of God's plan. It turns sinners into saints when we surrender to God and become people of the bruised shoulder who walk with Jesus. And so the question this morning is really only the question that you can answer in the midst of this story is, is your life evident of those actions? Are you a living invitation to follow Christ. Living with our eyes on the cross, Christ calls us to change who we are and who we're called to be. There's a great story about the artist Rodin. He was traveling along the roadside and came across this huge carved uh, cross, this crucifix beside the road, and he immediately loved it as artwork and, and, and negotiated he had to buy it. And so he bought it and he arranged for the men to bring it to his home. But when they got to his house... They hadn't planned all that well. He had not planned all that well. The cross would not fit inside. It was too big. And he did the most strange thing. He actually tore the walls down from his house and, and raised the roof in order to get the cross inside. And then he built the house around it. As God's forgiven people, as Christ followers, as Jesus' disciples, as members of the church, that's exactly who you and I are called to be and what we're called to do. Our call is not to try and make the cross fit into our lives. That, that's our temptation, isn't it? Our temptation is we have our life and we have our goals. We have what we believe who God ought to be and what role God ought to play in our life. And we try to fit him in to the house of our life. But if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, then we are called to knock down the walls. We are called to raise the roof. We are called to be a people who build the house around the cross. We're called to be cross-eyed people. We're called to let this rebuke of Peter be a reminder that we are not the center of the universe. That we are called to be a people of the bruised shoulder and that the gospel is about the business of transforming lives, including our own, day by day, by the work of God's Spirit in us. I just want to encourage you this morning. Be cross-eyed in your faith. Not just on Sunday mornings, but all the week through. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my follower, let them deny themselves. Let them understand that, that they are not the center of the universe, that they're, they're to, there, are other, there are other things greater than who they are. Pick up your cross. Pick up your cross and be willing 
be willing to put the other first. Be willing to serve. Be willing to, to be a, a person who, who lives out this difference God has made in you and follow me. We read God's story. And we're reminded that our story is still being written. When people read your story, this story that isn't finished yet, this story that is, that is still being written, the story which the ending is not yet complete, will, will the cross be listed in your story as, as one of the subtitles? Will it be one of the chapters? Will it be one of the things that are a part of the many aspects of your life? Or, or will the story reflect that your life is built upon is built upon the foundation that is not shaken by the storms and the waves that we face, is built upon the amazing grace of God and the cross of Christ. For how you answer that question makes all the difference in the world. Would you stand with me? Father, we give you thanks today for this amazing grace that we've talked about. We are thankful in this place to be reminded that even though we might have the various things that are on our plate or the various things that we deal with, that you, in the big upper story, are still redeeming the world exactly as you said you would. And Father, forgive us for the times in which we, like Peter, have thought we knew the best way forward or we knew the best path. God, we want to be a people who understand that in order to follow you, we really have to follow you. We have to be willing to lay down our agendas and our to-do lists and our stuff and our preferences. That if we're really going to follow you, it isn't just about a chapter uh, in, in the story, but, but it, is a part of, it is a part of every chapter of our life. So God, I just invite you to do a work in us that that we would be people who, who eye the cross, not just Sunday mornings, but all the week through, that, that we take another step closer to you today, that when we leave here, we, we leave more resolved than when we came to be a follower of Jesus. And Lord, we go with great hope that you are the God who is Emmanuel, who is with us. You're the God who doesn't leave us nor forsake us. You are the God who is still writing our story. And may the end of our story point people as an invitation to you. This week, may we live the calling of our life to be people of the bruised shoulder. And may we point people to you. In Jesus' name, with great hope, we pray. Amen. Lord bless you as you go.